Hey y'all, Anita here. One of the best things about being on the 2018 Joko cruise was getting the chance to sit down on a giant boat and talk to some amazingly creative people. I hope you enjoy listening to these special conversations as much as I loved having them. We're releasing one a week as a special bonus for you amazing listeners. And remember, we do need your help to keep making this podcast, so please consider joining our podcast community for exclusive perks and bonus content at d.rip slash femfreak. This week's interview is Open Mike Eagle. He's an L.A.-based rapper, podcaster, and wrestling nerd. We actually met for the first time on stage and couldn't stop talking about all kinds of nonsense for days afterwards, so we recorded some of that. Hello, Open Mike Eagle. Hello. I, I like that you said all three of my names. Thank you, Anita Sarkeesian. Would you prefer to have just, should I just call you Open? You should call me whatever you feel most comfortable. <laughs> I feel like we're like cousins now from being on a boat, like, yeah, we bonded. So yeah, so yeah. you can call me whatever you want to call me. As long right. as Is that how it works? When you're cousins, you can just call each other whatever you want? I don't really have cousins, so I don't know. Uh, I got cousins too, and I'm not even that close to them, so it might just be a whole broken metaphor to begin with. Sure, you sure. Know? But yeah. I, I meant to imply relation based on familiarity. Um, <laughs> so however, however um, that protocol works. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, let's just go with Mike. Okay. But I was really proud that I got your full name correct. Oh, since after, I fucked it up that's right. on a previous recording before, podcast with somebody else. That was before we were related. Because I was like, so is it a pun? Okay. It's a pun, isn't it? No. It's, a, it's okay. Okay, hold on. It's let's back up. Who are you? Why are we talking to you? Uh, uh, my, <laughs> my, my name is Michael Eagle. Yeah. I'm a, um, a rapper and writer and I do podcasts and I do all the stuff. I don't know why you're talking to me exactly. Um, it's because we bonded. Okay, well, good. Yeah, I was then like, oh, why. you're cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, so we are on the Joko cruise. We are currently. We're in a weird room on the Joko cruise. Yes, we are in the quote-unquote podcasting room, which is literally just a uh, a room with a desk in the middle of it. And there's it no is, bed or anything, I've and there's no a, windows. a lot of rooms on this boat, and this is the only one I've been in, and it doesn't have a window. And it is like, it's like... It's like a little jail room. You feel a little trapped. A little bit. It feels like an interrogation room. That's what Amy was saying. Exactly. Every podcast that I record here is going to have this preamble about this fucking weird room. (laughs) I'm such a I'm such a normie. I'm coming with the totally man. Totally with the regular observational humor. Um, But so we're on the Joko cruise. We are actually towards the end of it, so we're hustling back Mm -hmm. to uh, San Diego, so you can feel the ship rocking a lot more than you could the other days. Is this what hustling feels like when you're a boat this big? This is exactly what hustling feels like. It's pretty chill. Pretty. Show hustle. Yeah. It's, a, yeah. it's a big ass fucking it's boat. A really, really large boat. But you and I are both brand new. We'd yeah. never been on this ship before. So I've never we, been on any cruise before. Neither have I. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think we kind of were like, hey, let's be new together. Yeah. It's, um, we're babies. We're babies. So you, so one of our stops on the ship was uh, Loretto mm-hmm. and uh, the Joko cruise people uh, organized a land concert like it was a straight up music festival and which was i don't know how you organize a cruise and a music festival all in one but there definitely seems like you needed the people of laredo's help yes (laughs) yeah for sure um but you performed on that stage Mm -hmm. show and uh this was actually my introduction to your work and it Mm -hmm. was wonderful oh thank you really great performer i also um uh, you brought your kid out. I did. I, I know we're just jumping into this, but I love to hear more about that relationship in terms of like, do, were you encouraging? Was he volunteering to want to do stuff? Do you bring him on stage often? I bring him on stage he's, often. When how old again? He's nine. Yeah. Okay. And so, so um, 
whenever I'm doing a show that he can't attend, because you know I'm usually performing at 21 and over venues at midnight, so he's not able to see a lot of my shows. When I am doing a show that he can go to, which is typically a daytime festival-like environment where there's lots of family and people, um, for a few years now, we'll... Uh, make some opportunity for him to get on stage and typically uh, just dance. He likes to dance. Um, what I've learned is that um, once he starts dancing, he will not get off the stage. <laughs> and as long as he is on the stage dancing, nobody in the audience is paying attention to anything I'm doing anymore. No, why would they? Right. So He's sensational. So now I've had to... Um, Keep in mind that when I'm going to bring him on stage, I have to put it near the end of the set. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this time, this is the first time, um, a couple nights ago in Laredo, when he joined me on stage, um, and he rapped with me. Yeah, because he's been rapping for like solid couple years now. Um, but when one of these opportunities arose, he would never want to rap on stage. But I think. What we were able to do is because while we were sitting in Laredo um, in the green room, kind of just hanging out there waiting uh, for sound check, um, we not only presented him with the opportunity, but we sat there and kind of worked out a song, and it was based on an experience we'd had the day Wait, before. You wrote that song backstage before the yeah, show? Yeah, that afternoon. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, but I only, I only wrote eight rap lines and then we came up with the hook together yeah and uh his parts were all freestyle so it was it was real easy were they yeah he's all off top he's of head. so impressive yeah i love that i just turned this into the podcast interview with about your son I as love. as he takes over the stage as well we both know <laughs> who he is and who this world will belong to okay yep, so yep. I, look i i had to stop um i had to stop um processing ego information about that a long time ago <laughs> a long time ago yeah. um yeah you know but it's 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 really fun to work well, him into what i'm doing well now i need to you need to tell the story of uh, what the song was about okay you're right we yeah do, we you do. just the, okay so the song our millions of fans are just waiting <laughs> the, uh, well the hook to the song because we never did give it a title but it's um 15 20 feet ocean nah right mm-hmm. so we would just keep saying that 15 20 feet ocean nah 15 20 feet ocean nah and um that was about the snorkeling expedition that we had attempted to go on the day before um we have snorkeled once before um him his mother and i um we were in hawaii in january and that I didn't want to do it then because I don't like doing stuff, really. I, I don't. I, I like to stay in a room typically and read things and play video games and just have alone time. Yeah. Um, the kid wants to snorkel because he loves fish. He loves sea life. He wants to get as close to po- as possible to sea life, at least theoretically. Um, and so there's this place called Hanamo Bay, I believe, in Honolulu, Um that we took an expedition to and you know we got snorkeling gear and you snorkel kind of off the shore so you ease into it um kind of walk out there and get as get as deep as you want um and it was cool i mean he would go out and and um some fish would get too close to him and he would like run back on to the shore uh, and then he would get his bravery back up and he would go out again. And, and then that was kind of his process and me and his mom joined him in that. Um, so we signed up for snorkeling 
in Cabo the day before, um, the day before Laredo. We assumed it would be a similar experience, but it wasn't. We uh, were on a boat with a bunch of people, and the boat went 45 minutes away from where uh, all the ships were docked to a, a marina-like situation where there were a lot of like roped-off areas of water. And we were about 50, 100 feet away from the shore. Like, we're just in the water. And they gave us all floaty vests and flippers and, um, and kind of just threw us <laughs> off the boat <laughs> one by one into the water. I lasted about... I mean, and, and I told you this the other day, but as soon as I got into the water, like I got into the water, swam about 10 feet out. And as soon as I stopped swimming, one of my flippers fell off and I just freaked out. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I noticed uh, Asa was kind of freaking out a little bit, too. So we kind of, you know, got near each son. other. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, like I said, next thing I knew that they were throwing the life preserver at us. Yeah. I was happy. <laughs> Happy to see it. Very happy to That's see. That's amazing. I uh, I I can't swim or I panic. I mean, I if mm. I had to survive, I probably could, but I will not voluntarily be right. in water where I can't touch the bottom. Yes. And I was in the same situation years ago where they're like, "Let's go snorkeling," and I was like, "Okay, I guess." And they just literally jump mm. out the boat, and you're like, "Fuck you! Yeah, no. I'm I'm gonna drown." I'm not. Yeah, I can't. I can't. I can't. So when you and came back I won't and told ever that story, again. I was like, I feel that yeah. um it's terrifying it was and and i think that how you just described yourself categorically as a swimmer is what i just learned that i also am because <laughs> i have the tools to swim but i guess i had never really been in a body of water where i could not touch the bottom when i needed to psychologically yeah um and so I very quickly learned that is not for me. Yeah. I do not like it. Well, that's how you you learn in life, by doing horrible things and never doing them again. And then we turned it into a rap song that a lot of people enjoyed. It was the perfect way to deal with that trauma. I think so. Yeah. The only thing that bothers me about that entire experience uh, leading into the rap song part of it is that I don't think I can ever do that song again. No, I don't think oh, you can. And I think mm. you, you, that's, a, that's just for us. I know. It was a one-time deal. Ugh. But we appreciate it. I could tell. I could <laughs> yeah, tell. Like so that, into it. Yeah, I mean, literally, people have been coming up to him. You yeah. know, we're on a boat, so we're seeing <laughs> we're seeing all those same people again, yeah, and everyone's yeah. telling him how Enjoy. much they well, enjoyed them. So I'd be curious to hear a little bit about how you got started rapping and the origin stories around that. Hmm. Um, well, I just said rapping like I'm fucking rapping. rapping. Eighty. I'm in my. I'm in my. <laughs> Eighth decade of life. Got all that rapping and snapping and and, and (laughs) hipping and hopping. Um, Who was it on? Was it you? No. So you had a um, rappers asking questions in a semicircle to each other, and someone's dad can't say. That's my dad. That was your story. My dad. He can't. He cannot to this day. He will not. I mean, it's not that he won't. He just has a hard time. Calling me a rapper, but he would rather tell his uh, adult people he speaks to about me. Is that I am a spoken word artist, <laughs> which is hilarious to me because, like, isn't that worse? Like, I mean, it's it worse, worse to be a poet. Uh, I mean, <laughs> to a parent, though, right? Well, no, 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 no. That sounds like a respectable thing. Does it? Yeah, because I like know what it means. Yeah. I mean, like, I know what it means too, and <laughs> you know, I, and I don't ever want to be. 
confused for one of those people, <laughs> even though I love a lot of people to do that. I would never want to be called it's that. It's not in your soul. That's not what you it's, are. I mean, I, you know, honestly, yeah. I had my um, spoken word run in college. You yeah, know, <laughs> sure. I was I was on the vanguard of that. I did it. Um, but, you know, that quickly turned into uh, caricature and... Um, you know, I don't think he realizes that he's calling me a bum. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I, don't, I don't think he gets that. Yeah. I think he saw like Deaf Poetry Jam once 10 years ago and thinks, oh, okay. Yeah. I know what those kids are doing. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And it well, seemed to him more palatable. Well, so how, how did you move from spoken word into rapping? Well, I always rapped. Uh, I always rapped. I rapped since, since high school. Uh, I rapped. I found the people who rapped. Um, in my community, it was people who got together in ciphers and circles, and they were freestyle, and it was just like mind blowing to see because, uh, you know, I you know grew up around rap music, but just had never really known people that rapped. So once I found this group of people that rapped, I was like, oh, so anybody can just do this? And um, me and my close friends in high school were encouraged to start, um, and we were terrible at first because everybody is. Um, I feel like that's uh, something I keep hearing a lot on this ship um, from the performers talking to folks who might want to break into these various industries in terms of being a comic or a musician or, you know, podcaster, a podcaster. Mm -hmm. Well, I was great when I started (laughs) podcasting, let's be real. Uh, But no, but that for all of us that do like. Any kind of performance or creative work. Oh, the writers panel also talked about this as well. It's just like you're gonna suck. Yeah. Like you're gonna suck a lot until you don't. Yeah. And um, I feel like that's really hard for folks to understand. No, I'm. I don't know. I feel like it's a hard thing to internalize. And when I look at my old videos, they're embarrassing. Right. Like I saw one recently. It was like I gotta take that shit offline. It's so yeah, bad. It's, yeah, it's tough. Because you do get better by doing it, right? And so you do kind of have to suck it up and like. Get up there and tell some bad jokes and I mean, make some bad rhymes. And because whatever. the part, I, the the biggest thing is, you just there's no way for you to know what bad is before you do the thing. Like you make, you can maybe hear somebody else be bad and know that it's bad, but you can't hear what's bad about you. Yeah, and but at also, first. yeah, exactly. And I I don't know if this makes any sense, but I feel like you, if you, so if you think everything you're producing is bad. Then why would you ever continue? Like you, you have to think some of the stuff you're doing is good, right? Even you, if you, it- yeah, you have to think. I mean, but I think that most people who are, um, who are motivated enough to do creative stuff, I think that deep down they think they're good, right? Yeah. Like deep down they think they have something to offer, right? Sure. Or else, why and else would you be doing it now? And then you can you can keep that and still know that you're going to be bad for a while and I think that like when you're mature and you're starting and and you're like you have some measure of emotional intelligence what that means is that you'll you'll connect to the community of people doing this already and you know uh, you'll you'll get wisdom where you can you'll fail where you're supposed to and you're trying to just basically earn a place in this in this circle you know but typically a lot of people like you know when I'm 16 and starting to rap or 15 or whatever I was like I didn't have that long view I just you know I mean but I guess it was a little bit easier in rap to know you were bad how so Uh, because let's say you're a writer right like you can write and never show anybody Uh, you can write and only show a few people Um, there's a chance that those people you do show aren't going to tell you that it's bad like 
rapping involves very specifically um, saying rhymes that aren't predictable to some sort of beat. And also, you got to try to say something interesting around the rhymes, too. So there's a lot of ways to not do that well when you start. And it's just, it's easy for your ears and your body to, to know when it's not good. And it's easy for you to see in other people's faces when what you're doing isn't yeah. good. And I think that's a little bit different than some of the other. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, well, so you, um, so you started just... D- like making rhyme, like you started yeah. freestyling and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you, because I clearly don't know words. It's okay. Yeah, it's cool. You don't it's have awesome. to know all the words. Just, just, just the, some of them. Just, just enough to get through this. Exactly. But we're, yeah. Um, so I guess, okay, I have no musical talent. So I'm coming to this with just like, what, how, what there is a mixer in front of us, and I literally <laughs> unplugged so the mixer so to <laughs> record a, this podcast. It's a giant, unnecessary mixer, yeah. though. It could have a very, um, a lot smaller mixer. Sure. But yeah. whatever. Yeah, whatever. Exactly. I have a mixer in our office, and I don't know how to fucking use it. So, like, let's be, it's, it's half the size of this one. But so, like, how do you, okay. You can like, so say you can, you're a really great writer and you can write really great rhymes and you can freestyle and all this stuff. How does that translate to like writing your own beats or does it like, is there, you know, you do both. Right. I think in a sense that is two different parts of the brand. It is two completely different journeys. You know, Uh, I think a person's journey as a producer or as a beat maker is more of a function of um, their journey in like listening to rap music. I feel okay. like that's that because you can be a rapper that never listens to other people's music. You can just listen to beats. You can just be around people rapping. You can just rap yourself. You don't, you know, yeah. it doesn't really involve much, um, much consumption of music. But as a producer, like, I think your ear is trained based on like what it is that you like about rap music. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, like that, I had beats in my head before I ever started rapping. But that's because I was listening to rap music forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Well, so in terms of the like subject matter that you speak about, um, did that has that evolved over time? Yeah, and like, a lot. and what what is it like? What what kinds of things do you focus well, on you now? You know what? I'll, I'll, there's two sides to that answer. One, yes, it's evolved. But two, I realized, um, I think around the time I put out like my fourth album, and because I read some review about it, and it said this, and it really pissed me off. But then. After a while, I realized it was true, and it was the fact that, like, because this was an album I put out that was, like, really critically acclaimed, right? But the uh, person the person who was reviewing it had been a person who'd been listening since the first album. And so a big chunk of his review was pointing out how there were songs on it that were basically newer versions of other songs that I've written oh. on my older albums. And not in any way that I was even conscious of. Um, and it was upsetting to me because I'm like, dude, why are you why are you picking my shit apart like that? Like, you know, yeah. this is if you like this one, <laughs> you know what I mean? Is is the question that you're looking to be um, to be answered in a review? But sure. he was making a point that, like, in a in a sense, there's like five or six kinds of songs that I write, and as I grow as a songwriter, it's about figuring out the best way to write these five or six specific kind of songs. Yeah, okay. You know? That's but, really interesting. But yeah, yeah. but in this, uh, the other side is that, yeah, like this, the the subject matter does change. When I first started, um, most of my work was reactionary based on what people expected from mainstream rap music. Okay. So my first album was called Unapologetic Art Rap because I just wanted to like <laughs> fly right into the face of all that and embrace it and just know this is, this is going to be the weird stuff, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, but as 
mainstream rap has changed and 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 as i have changed as a person like so my last album was about um the demolition of the public housing building that that you know i spent a lot of time in growing up you know like so um i think that the things that i've wanted to say have gotten more specific over time, but I think that the modes that I use to say these things are just like these specific kinds of songs. Yeah. And are you finding like, so there's, so a lot of creative folks and on this boat have been like, oh my God, the last year was brutal for creativity, right? It was brutal for productivity um, in terms of the political landscape. Um, And there's this, there's this tension of like, politics have been bad for a long time, right? And like people have been suffering for a long time and it's it's extraordinarily bad now for white people, mm. right? Or like it's getting worse for everybody and feeling it in these different ways. So I've heard that that a lot on this boat specifically. Uh, has the last like year or two of specifically like Trump politics and, and the rise of fascism and white supremacy, has that integrated into what you're doing? Like do you... Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, um, if you listen to my most recent album, like, okay, so there's one song on it that, like, directly references all of that shit. But even outside of that, I think that part of the reason this project has kind of resonated with some people is because the frustration is very apparent, even though I'm not specifically addressing the political situation in like every line or every song, I feel like that like smoldering rage of right now is like in that work. And um, I feel like that's where I am is I'm still, because I don't have the answers yet. I'm still like... How dare you not have the answer? I mean, I'm What so, are we here for? I am going to flip honestly, this goddamn table. <laughs> I, am, I have become very accustomed to feeling like I have the answers when it comes to stuff like politics. Politics used to seem a lot easier. Sure. You know? <laughs> like, even, even if... Um, even if it was broken... Right. It was easier to deal with. And I felt like I knew um, where things began and ended. I knew my place in all of it. Sure, like, There were like parameters, whether you agreed with them or not. Right. There was a constraint on what we deem political behavior. Yes. Yes. And like what's happening now is that every day, every day. Like that's just completely reinvented. Like there's no yeah. there's no rules now. And. You know, I guess maybe there was no rules the whole time, but there was just a bunch of shit we all agreed on. You just accepted that everyone was lying all the time, and that right, and we were okay with it. And it was because, like, and that's that's kind of the funny part about some of this is that you're like, like all politicians lied. Their platforms were always full of shit, and um, there was always loads of corruption. And we talked about it openly, but you still were like, well, yeah, I'm gonna vote for one of the two parties that we have and really like gung ho for them. And you're like, but what? And so now we have someone in office who doesn't have the decorum of a quote unquote, what a president should be. And it's, it's bringing all of that into sort of, I guess, stark relief or something, right. Where you're like, Oh, wait a minute. This is even worse. And it's like, it's very apparent and it's transparent what is happening. But you know, and and the, the, there's another layer to it that, 
he's he's the figurehead of it, and he's the figurehead of a lot of things that are that we can say like, oh, he's a figurehead of white supremacy. He's a figurehead of privilege. He's a figurehead of misogyny. Like all of these things, but in specifically what we're referring to right now, that decorum thing, he's a figurehead of like this anti-political correctness thing too. Yeah, and man, I think. As a, as a society, we are not prepared for that. Like, psychologically, we're not prepared for that. Like, we live in ways. Like, if we think about who we live around, like who our neighbors are, especially if we live in, like, apartment buildings or, like, who our coworkers are, there's a lot of lying that goes on. Like, that the, the kind of lying we were all used to politicians doing is a line that we do every day. Like, our neighbors don't know how we really feel about them. No. And our coworkers yeah. don't know how we really feel about them. And I feel like... It's that way because it has to be because like our purpose, if we're coworkers, is to get some amorphous job done. Uh, our, yeah. Yeah. Well, and it feels like that is uh, more harmless under most circumstances. Right. 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 Um, whereas what's happening or what I think you're getting to now is that like the um, sort of low level radiation hum of racism has been as as the cap has exploded right right where it was like that should existed but like it of course it existed but it was um it wasn't as socially acceptable to be as racist vocally outdoors right, right? it wasn't acceptable to march with fucking pitchforks and shit in the right. street about like let's take our streets back and like anti-muslim anti-immigrant anti-black sentiments um and trump created an environment where all of those feelings um, that were simmering, all the like the hate that was simmering was now allowed to right. um, be unleashed, and, and now we're we're watching this happen and go like, and people are like, oh, it's a country divided between those folks and everybody else, and you're like, this has been simmering. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like it's not like racism went away, right. right? It's not like misogyny went away, but it was we created systems that forced people to behave differently. And right. the great thing that the civil rights movement did was it made racists have to be fucking quieter. Mm. Right? Like it, it it forced the system to change and now Trump forced this system to change again. I say all this with big stipulations of like, of course, like racism still existed right. and like we know we can see all of that but it, it feels different right it does i mean i know a lot of people who when asked the question uh if you're standing behind a guy in a coffee shop and he's a racist do you want to know it or not right right and my answer has always been no yeah um you know the I'm, only people i've ever heard say yes to that are who white people i know some brown <laughs> people. i know a lot really? of brown people who want to know um i know a lot of brown people who prefer the racism of the south um traditionally because it's overt Mm. uh and the racism of the north quote unquote where it's quiet and you don't know where you stand with people they were more uncomfortable with it i've never felt that way because to me like um what feels like an equal society is not where everybody likes everybody it's where um I don't have to be reminded about my minority status when I don't want to think about it. Yeah. Like that's like I don't to me what feels um like the society that I would want to live in is where like 
yeah, you don't have to like me, but shut the fuck up. And yeah, like, yeah, if yeah. I'm not, if I'm not bothering you, or you're not, you know, if we're not engaged in any sort of way, then we just go about our business. And in that way, like, um, we both get to live whatever fucking fulfilling life we want to live. The- Theoretically, the, yeah, yeah, like all this, things this in is a vacuum. ignoring like institutional racism and all this shit. Absolutely. But yeah, like your day to day, you can go buy groceries, and if the like white like checkout person is racist, you're not going to know that. Exactly, and that's fine. That, that's you. that's that is fine for me because yeah. I'm not I'm not here. I don't think that we should police people's emotions, right? Um, and I'm not saying that that it's okay to be racist. Um, I just I don't know. Like there's there's this You you'd prefer people not marching in the street with tiki torches. I would yeah. <laughs> I certainly would. I, I mean but what that I don't know what that represents to me is just like and and I know we're talking about the kind of PC thing, but the other the other tone that, that strikes with me is a real sort of stupidity that makes me angry. Like a real sort of like like if you are a white man uh and you're upset about like what are you upset about like what have you lost like, what what like seriously like make a list to me of things that you have lost yeah you know and like if you if you can write things down i will be shocked cuz all i can sense is that you're upset because people are asking you to think about other people <laughs> Is that? It was really interesting around the election and like right afterwards, where just like I got I got a lot of white dudes in my life. Just mm-hmm. there's a lot of them. I mean, around. we all do. Yeah, yeah, it's true. They're yeah. they're they. We're on a boat rep- full of them, even. <laughs> like, yeah, you know? but so I specifically work in games and tech, and right. so like that right. is a yes. particular and um and you know like these are my friend like these are people I care about my friends right and they are all freaking out about the election and uh, and there there's the part of me that's like good like this is great like w- like welcome mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. welcome to this side of caring about the world beyond like what I, whatever i don't even know where i'm going with this but no i know but, what you but mean. there was this sense of like for me there was a sense of like okay cool you're here now like I hate the word fucking woke, but like you're here now in this like you're you're getting a little woke and you want to do something. And I'm kind of like, cool, I'm really glad you're here. We need allies, but also understand that people have been doing this work for decades and you got to mop the floors for a while. Right. Right. Like you got to pick up the chairs at the meeting. You don't talk and you just like learn and listen. And I think a lot of white dudes, because of their privilege, come in and say, okay, let, let's fix it. Right. And I'm like, whoa, slow your roll, dude. <laughs> Well, but but uh, fortunately, right? Like that, like that is the fix. What's the fix? Is white men listening? Right? Yeah. Isn't that the fix? Yeah, kind of. So it's like they learn quickly. You know, if if they're, I mean, if if they're if they're in a place where they're able to deal with their own shit, and I, and, I, and when I say that, they like, you know, like me as a as a, as a male, right? Like we're we're. We're entering a new, very public uh, understanding of, you know, the tentacles of misogyny and how much of that is just very prevalent in our culture and how much women have to deal with them and never think about. Like, and so me personally, as I am emotionally like whatever my level of emotional maturity is to deal with my own shit um, makes me a more valuable ally. But all of that involves listening. 
Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? For sure. so you, and like, that goes for every privileged class. Exactly. Right? Like, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Um, we're going so much longer oh, than sure. I thought, but this yeah, is yeah, no great. Worries. No, I actually, I do want to ask you, I kind of want to ask about like mainstream hip hop sure. and like your feelings about that. And, and in real kind of in relation to this conversation of like, you know, the, you've got this, you know, it's a very black dominated mm-hmm. art form that gets co-opted by white record executives, et cetera, et cetera. And like, obviously hip hop got really big mm-hmm. because white people listen to it. Um, and like, is is the political climate changing what hip hop looks like and is about? And like, is it, do you, I mean, what is your relationship to mainstream hip hop? Um, hmm. So that was a lot of things. I don't know. No, I, I, yeah. If any of that is a thing that you have any interest in speaking to. I, I would love to speak to all of it. Um, I, I have a, um, I guess a, a weird proximity to mainstream hip hop in that um we're in an age right now where mainstream hip hop as an art form as like as like songs that are made and put out into the world and promoted and do well like we're in an age now where those songs are hard to make like they didn't used to be hard to make uh you didn't used to have to know how to rap really well to be a really big artists now you do um there's a a skill level there's a dedication to craft like all the big rappers they make songs every day they make songs all night long that's why they have albums and mixtapes and mixtapes and mixtapes and they have all of this music because like they're working on their craft every day like they're not lazy they are they are good they are like making stuff uh and and the quality levels higher than ever i do think we're like as a as 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 a genre and as consumers interacting with this genre we are entering the beginning of a moment of like reflecting on content in a real way. Um, there's been, you know, a couple of, like, there was a Rick Ross thing a year or two ago um, when he's, you know, said something that basically amounted to date rape in a song and it created a lot of outrage and that was a new thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, rap for a very long time has had space for guys to be talking to guys as if women aren't listening. Yeah. Um and in in a vile way, you know, like uh, not in a oh, how are you feeling, brother? Way, no, <laughs> like you know, like in a. Where are those songs? <laughs> I mean, they're there. I'll <laughs> I'm I'll, I'll okay, point yeah. you in some yeah. directions. Yeah. But no, um, but you know, we are having to atone yeah. for the climate that we're in right now. And I think I feel like it is. You know, like the feminist frequency motto is "Be critical of the media you love." And yeah. like I. With, you know, I'm not, I listen to a lot of hip hop and like it's, you do, I do have to tune out the, I mean, the misogyny and you in the music to. that I like. You like, shouldn't have to. And, but, and I say that and I'm, I know that I don't need to qualify this for our listeners, but like all types of music are racist and sexist yeah. and shitty. And like this is, a, I, I hate the, that hip hop is always to blame for misogyny and music you're, when you're like, give me a break. I know, I, I get it. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that. My my uh, my brothers making the rap music, 
have to be more accountable. Yeah. I really think I really think they do. And I, this and this goes with all media, right? Yeah. We're ha- we are this this is a conversation we're having in comics and video games and uh, TV and movies and watching more like better representations, right? And that goes for lyrics as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like how are you how are you telling your stories? Can you can you tell them in less sexist ways, right? right? Like that is possible. It, 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 yeah, and that's the thing. That, <laughs> right? That's why I. What I stories mean, do you want to tell, right? That's why I think that it's it's so it's okay to be very upset with hip hop because they're like it is very easy to tell these stories in ways that aren't so problematic. It is. It's yeah. not like inherent in rhyming that you have to say these words and refer to women these ways or or refer to gays these ways or you don't have to do that like yeah. that's like that's that's part of remember i told you um um a moment earlier that i was going you know i was trying to be real left to center when i first started and be real reactionary to what like that's the way in which i still very much am because like to me what that represents um when people are given a pass on that stuff is that like it speaks to this like authenticity thing in hip hop that is really kind of oppressive because it makes it seem like there is only one uh, genuine black American experience and it involves misogyny and homophobia yeah. um, or any sort of like caricature, you know, yeah. like and that's like. And do you feel like that's changing? I don't think I don't feel like it's changing fast enough. I sure. feel like I feel like <laughs> I feel like that about everything. But yeah, but, and, yeah, but there are so many like I don't know about in hip hop specifically, but I think in in mainstream media there are more representations of different kinds of blackness. Sure, yeah, that we hadn't seen three years ago. And I, even. And I, I don't. I think that I think that the sound of hip hop is catching up in terms of the production. I think that the images of rappers like the visual images the fashion yeah. is catching up i don't think the content okay. yeah. is catching up yet yeah. and i feel like that's the part where you know there's still there's a lot of conversation to be had there's a lot of atonement to be made yeah, i yeah. feel like and and in moving forward i think that you know uh consumers are going to have to make that choice yeah. you know Okay, last question. Sure, we're gonna circle back around. Mm-hmm. Why is your name your name? Because my, my name is my my given name is Michael Eagle. What's the open part? Uh, from we're gonna circle back again from yeah. my spoken word poetry days. <laughs> yes, I, was, I knew it. I knew it had to be something like that. It was. Yeah, people called me Open Mike because I used to host the open mics. Really? And so you the name was given to you? Well, that part, and then when I started uh, a recording career, I was just gonna be Open Mike. Uh, but then there was another guy named Open Mike, and yeah. then there was actually a third guy named Open How Mike. How dare all these like, Open Mics? It's like yeah. Michael is one of the most common names it ever. It is like that. Remember when I was like, your name sucks? Yeah. And you were like, no, it doesn't. My name is Michael Eagle. I was yeah. like, fair. Yeah. Totally fair. If you put the, yeah, if you got to say the whole thing. You got to say the whole thing. Yeah. That's why when I see you in the halls, I say, hello, Michael Eagle. Well, there you every go. Every time. I think you should continue <laughs> to. Uh, if folks want to check out your work or hit you up or find out more or buy your things, where might they do that? Uh, all over the internet. I'm sure I'm in your uh, phone and computer devices right now. If you just look me up on whatever you look things up on, I will be there. Um, my website is mikeeagle.net where you can find all of my tour dates, my social media, and links to buy things if you're interested in doing that. Awesome. I highly, highly recommend checking all that out. Thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Bye. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>